Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem, and I'll be your host. Hello, and welcome back to Emerge, Evolve, Lead. My guest on the podcast today is Jake Sassaville. Jake has recovered from compulsive debting and under-earning, and he has not incurred unsecured debt since 2013, and is now a CEO and founder of Imaloa Institute in Costa Rica. Jake is now a hospitality entrepreneur, author, and podcaster, and one of his claims to fame was that he was the youngest host in late-night TV history on ABC, and the White House named him one of the most innovative entrepreneurs under 30. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. How are you doing? Thank you, Maureen. I'm doing well, and like I said to you before we started recording, I'm so grateful that there are shows like this for folks that are listening um, and that you're open to talking about different forms of recovery. I think oh, that's yeah. important too. So thanks for having me on. You know, whatever it is we're addicted to in life, it seems that the road to recovery is, is very similar, isn't it? It's like, we really have to look at ourselves, clean up the past, forgive ourselves, yeah. <laughs> figure out what we want and, and then help others to do the same thing. Totally. You know, I had a manager once when I was in the entertainment business, uh, a pretty well-known manager. And he said, uh, he, he managed a lot of comedians, Dave Chappelle, Tracy Morgan. And he said to me, he said, most of these people, Jake, he used to talk like this. Most yeah. of these people, they just had a goddamn God-sized hole blown through them in their childhood. And they've spent the rest of their careers trying to fill it up. And they fill it up with booze and drugs and women and men until they realize there's no actual way to fill it. And I was like, that was very profound for an oh, entertainment yeah. manager, you know? So, and I feel like that that is the shared story. That is the common story in addiction and recovery that at some level, we all have had, as he said, a goddamn God-sized hole blown through oh, us hole when we blown were young. Through us. Yeah. yeah. Or it just feels that way. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, but everybody, we've all been through trauma. All right. But before we get into your story, because sure. I'm excited to hear it, um, tell us a little bit about what your life is like today. Where do you live? Who do you live with? And what's your, what's your vocation? That's such a nice way to open a, a conversation. I live in Costa Rica, um, which is in Central America, technically uh, the Central American continent, uh, bordered by Panama on the south and Nicaragua in the north. Um, it's about a three-hour plane ride southwest of Miami to give folks a, a, a visual as they're listening. Um, I've lived here since 2018 when I first started in Maloa. And my life today, you know, it's interesting. Every Every year of recovery for me is a new year of exploration. And what I mean is, is that um, I still have, it's, it's bizarre. I still have the same challenges that I had when I lost everything in 2013. It's just with a different set of circumstances. And I apply different pieces of wisdom from the 12-step program to be able to manage what is inherently unmanageable. So that's my life today. I live a pretty big life. It comes with its challenges. Again, very similar flavor of challenges than when I was rock bottom in grandma's basement in Maine, um, which is literally where my rock bottom was. But um, I'd say that the tools that I have now are 
allowing me to live a more serene life, serenity for me being in the eye of the hurricane rather than being swept up in the wind of the hurricane. Um, I live about two hours away from the Institute, from Imaloa, and about 30 minutes outside of San Jose, which is the capital, in a cute little mountain town. Um, yeah, it's really, it's Beautiful. the life I've always dreamed of, but never knew that I actually wanted. And now that you find yourself here, right, enjoying all the, the fruits of life, that's just beautiful. So let's go back to maybe not directly to grandma's basement, but <laughs> what happened? How did you, um, how did your beginnings go and how did you figure out that you had a problem and, uh, you know, and ended up where you were and got oh, into recovery? Perhaps like many people who are listening, Mo, um, I did not think Debtors Anonymous and Under, and Under Earners Anonymous was a real 12-step program until I realized it was really a life or death mission. And when I had a friend of mine uh, or a friend of a friend commit suicide because of his debts oh, in program. Yeah. And I realized, oh, this is life or death. This may not be alcohol or narcotics, but this is a life or death mission. And so it, it, you know, I, anyways, I was, I was very grateful to find the program. You know, I had spent most of my twenties in the entertainment business, like you said at the intro, um, living for the high highs and trying to figure out the low lows. So I actually stopped drinking, if you can imagine, at 21. I actually stopped drinking at 21, <laughs> not because of the program, but just because of where I was heading, where I wanted to be heading in my life. But when I stopped drinking, I, I would, you know, move in, I moved into the entertainment business, um, which was in and of itself an, an interesting journey, not drinking in the entertainment business, which is kind of a prerequisite in your when you're doing that just in general in life. Right. Agree. Um, yeah. So I spent my twenties having these various successes. And when I would kind of fall or inevitably run out of money because, you know, I lived for the high highs, I couldn't just have a steady life. I would debt. I would borrow obscene amounts of money from famous or, or, or um, wealthy folks, people who friends had of it. mine people yeah. who had it justified not paying them back or paying them back partially oh. and just continued rinse washing and repeating until I'd have another high, you know, where I do a million dollar deal, pay them back partially, or maybe even fully, but just wrecking relationships. And this was a function of debting, compulsive debting, which is an addiction and also compulsive under earning. And, um, so these two things, and again, for folks who haven't heard, heard this, heard of these two 12-step programs, we use the same 12 steps. Um, we sponsor, I've been sponsoring folks since right around 2013, 2014, about 40 people I've taken through the steps. Ironically, only two have made it through all 12 steps. Wow. Um, so anyways, that was, that was my life. It was high highs and low lows, borrowing obscene amounts of money, under earning, always paying others more than I myself would pay, even though I was the one that was in charge of doing the sales. So I'd be paying someone else three times more than what I was making, despite the fact that I was doing all the sales and business mm -hmm. development and running the company. So that was the under earning function, not worthy of, or under being, or undervaluing you know, yourself. Is totally undervaluing. Of, okay. Yeah. Which I'm sure is a shared experience by many, even if you're not in an under earning program. I still so, have it. Damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a thing. It's yeah, a thing. It so is. that's what life was like. And then, you know, I had borrowed this, uh, again, a large amount of money from someone who was fairly well known at the time, still is. Uh, he was on a, an NBC show called The Office. And 
I didn't pay him back. And he called me and he said, and this was like, he was trying to have an intervention with me. He held you accountable. Tried to, tried oh. to. It took, it took two years because the first year he would call me and he'd say, you got to bring love to your money, man. You got to bring God into your money. Have you thought about going to a 12-step program? Oh. And I said, go F yourself. And I would hang up the phone. And eventually, eventually something clicked. I didn't go to the 12, but it clicked. And then when someone else actually flew to Chicago to have an intervention with me a year later, she held my hand, brought me to my first 12-step program. And it still took me another year to get into program Mo. Like it, you know, old yeah, habits like die does. young. I mean, yeah. you know how it does. But uh, eventually I started going regularly in 2013. Like seeds, seeds were planted and then you, you know, they start to germinate and grow. And pretty soon you, it's like, it ruins your debting. It ruins your drinking. Yeah. It ruins, you know, all, everything totally. it's until you finally realize I have to get help. Have I, to. I have to change. Yeah. Something has to show. Like I was wrecking and, and eventually literally my house was washed away in hurricane Sandy in 2012. Oh. All my contracts disappeared. My friends started disappearing the phone stopped ringing and I ended up in grandma's basement because I had nowhere else to go. And that's when I really started working the program. And that was in Maine. And you was, had, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's when like, you know, we say like God, whatever you want to call it is doing for you what you can't do for yourself. Right? Totally. Let's get rid of everything so that you can just focus on you. And what is that? What did that work entail? Is it um, specifically the same thing? 12 step program. You, you look at yourself, you surrender, yeah. you turn your life over, you let go, you start looking at your defects of character, all of it. And everything. Amends. Yeah. So the DA program, I found debtors anonymous to be more rigorous than the UA program. What I love about these two programs, I have to say, is that they have some incredible meetings, both phone, zoom, and in person. Um, and, the meetings are themed everything from beyond six figures to a worldwide meeting on, on the phone lines on Sunday nights. So I was stimulated from that perspective, just hearing all these people who have such varied backgrounds. Um, so I would just, I started going to meetings um, and then I found myself a sponsor. I still am in touch with her um, and we're peers to this day. Um, a lovely lady out of New York. And yeah, I started working the steps. My life is powerful. I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable, so on and so forth. Um, I worked the steps with my sponsor in the same way that I now work with sponsees. So it's very rigorous in the big book, in the actual big book. Um, and, you know, for me, it took about two and a half years to get through all the steps. Um, it, it's rigorous. It's a rigorous way of working. I'm working with a guy now who has 30 years in AA and he's never worked the steps in this way. So it's a particular, and it's just the lineage that I happen to find God doing okay. for me what I could not yeah. do for myself. Um, and there's a lot of, yeah, it's just, it's a rigorous way of working the steps and interesting. And, yeah. And everything stopped for me and not, you know, they talk about cash and prizes in step five. Uh, that once you get through step five, at least in DA, they say, oh, cash and prize. I got no cash and prizes. I still was in a basement. And by the way, this was this was an unfinished basement, Mo. Are you talking about the promises that they, that they exactly. promise us cash and prizes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> different yeah. lingo. That's different funny. lingo. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and so you're in the basement. Well, yeah. Tell us about that. Started and failed at five businesses. Oh, okay. um, in that in, the, in recovery. In recovery. Okay. The sixth one worked. It was a podcast. And in many ways, the podcast was a living amends to all those who I had hurt because I started booking my famous or not so famous friends oh. who had never done podcasts at the time. Uh, and they were just interesting people um, that people wanted to hear from. And that podcast is what ended up working. 
Um, and I did it. My grandma didn't have internet. So I did it from a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot down the street. Wow. Uh, and I did 300 episodes and that podcast earned me enough money, you know, several thousand dollars a month after three months of doing it, um, which was kind of amazing, actually. That is very amazing. But it was a living amends. It really was like I would book people that I had hurt. Um, and although I didn't say, hey, this is my 12 step, amend, you know, this is my I by give by being in service to something greater than myself, by being in service to the people who had fascinating things to say and those who were listening, who wanted to learn from them, it kind of looking back, it was like, oh, maybe that's why that aligned, you know? Wow. So tell me how you got involved in the Imaloa Institute and how you ended up in Costa Rica. Was that an opportunity you, you just wound up there like at a retreat meditation retreat or something like that? What, what happened? Everyone thinks so because it's such a amazing space for transformation and retreats. People think, well, the guy who started it must have had a profound experience on a retreat. I had never hand to God, Mo, never been to a retreat before in my life before I started this place. What happened was I went from the basement. I started applying 12-step living to my actual life and my business. So this meant learning how to create from a place of surrender instead of hustle. This was a big one for me learning how to listen to life's whisper. Our life is always speaking to us. We just have to listen. Learning to live life on life's terms, which for me looked like taking action and turning the results over to God. So I started doing this as I started making money from the podcast because you know I wanted to get the hell out that basement as soon as possible. Uh, yeah. And I ended up in Maui. I ended up in Hawaii. I literally went from grandma, just by taking action, turning the results over, found a house on Craigslist, beautiful 4,000 square foot home, had no business applying for it, got it because I took action, turned the results over, moved four weeks later. You mean you purchased it? Rented it. Okay. Wow. $5,000 a month, which was a lot going from grandma's basement to 5,000. No kidding. And then I thought I'll Airbnb the cottage in the backyard because it was a beautiful cottage. I get to the house. I rent the cottage. The cottage is never empty for three years. Swear to God, Mo, 10,000 a month pays for my whole life in Maui. I have a big old house in the main house. I start inviting friends just to come again. My, it, when you put yourself in the pathway of service, the spirit of service, um, magical things start to happen. And that's what I was experiencing. So as people were coming to my house, then they would tell their friends and their friends. And because my house was just this epicenter of interesting people coming through because it was a free place to stay on Maui. I didn't charge people to come to my house because the Airbnb was paying for the whole damn thing. Right. And that's when I realized that people want to feel at home in their transformation. Mm -hmm. And that's why I created Imaloa. Okay. So it was, you could link it to my program of recovery, really to be in service to people in this way and to provide the feeling of home in their transformation in people's transformation because people come to Maui to transform. I mean, I had Rwandan genocide survivors that were writing their mm. memoirs. I had stage four cancer folks who were coming to look at and heal themselves. And it was just a safe place for people. So I said, hmm, that sounds like that could be a retreat center. And so yeah. it is. And so it is. Wow. So it is. That's absolutely beautiful. I love it. So tell me more about the Imaloa Institute. So you found a place in Costa Rica or you just um, moved down here? What happened? So what happened was living life on life's terms. We were under a contract, under contract for a place in Maui because I wanted to do this in Hawaii so badly. Honestly, Mo, I never thought I would leave Hawaii. 
I was like, why would anybody why leave Maui? Would anybody I'm want to leave Maui? It's just the most beautiful place in the world. <laughs> I've been there. And I didn't, you have, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. Gorgeous. Yeah. But living life on live streams means listening to the whisper. And so there were doors were not opening. Like we mm. had an offer in, it was about to close. I had, I woke up with the night sweats, like literally a day before. And I was like, we can't do this deal. Turns out the regulations in Maui for what we wanted to do a retreat center were not supportive. Okay. And the vision of Imaloa is to be an intercontinental institute for the education and advancement of humanity. Oh, so I love intercon- that. Isn't that good? Yeah. Say it again. It- Intercon- so Imola is an intercontinental institute for the education and advancement of humanity. So our vision is to build one of these on every continent. Costa Rica was always the second place that we wanted to build one. And so we put it in first place instead. So literally got on a plane because we had all the money raised, got on a plane, made an offer on the first place we saw. Thank God it was a good one. And it started 40 days later. I liquidated my entire house. I said, I guess I'm moving to Costa Rica. because that's, that's where the vision's <laughs> taking me, Mo. Nice. Anyways, that's what happened. That's really cool. What a fantastic story. It's about um, more than just turning it over. Were you nervous at all that you, you were going to hit this high and then lose everything? Or, you know, like, did some of those old feelings come back? Or now you felt like you had a solid enough foundation in your program that that wasn't going to happen? I'd be lying if I said the nerves were gone completely, but I dealt with a lot of that in Maui. Why? I grew up in Maine. I grew up in a mill town in Maine. My, we were very low income. And so to then move from like grandma's basement to Maui, and by the way, lived in the most beautiful part of Maui. I mean, mm-hmm. I couldn't have even planned this even if I tried. I had to go through, I went through such a reckoning for the first 12 months of living in Maui because everything was working, Mo. And it was the first time in my life that everything was working with relative ease and joy. This had never happened before in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, And how old were you at that time? 29. Okay. So 27 in the basement, 29. You know, Oprah was my neighbor in Maui. Like you can't even like, whether or not you like Oprah or not, the fact that it's just like the, 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 the bubble that, it was, was like such a quantum leap from like Lewiston, Maine in in a basement to Oprah's neighbor, like, come on. So (laughs) this jump for me was a lot to accept. So that's where the fear really crept in. That's where the ego started rearing its ugly head. Uh, I, you know, it burns on both sides of the candlestick as many in recovery know. You could think you're the best thing since sliced bread and that you're totally worthless in the same thought. And so- you know, that that's what happened for me is I couldn't deal with all the beauty and abundance in Maui. So by the time Imaloa started to be created, I still had the fear. Courage is just taking action in the face of fear. I still had the fear, but I started to be able to work with the fear, be in the serenity, be in the eye of the hurricane. Um, it was hard, but I used all my program tools moving to the jungle. I mean, I literally went from like, easy life, mountaintop Maui, not easy, but easier to like having to build a business from nothing in the middle of the jungle, in the middle of the rainy season, knowing no Spanish. So I used my program to be able to stay above water and above board. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing. And so I'm sure that there was a lot of uh, challenging times as you went through that. And I'm thinking that um, have you ever read that book by Gay Hendricks, The Big Leap? 
I just emailed his wife the other day and I love the big leaf. Oh the yeah. Big leaf. So and, what you're, and yeah, I just want to mention that because like yeah. what you're talking about is this, you know, upper limit problem. Yes. And I've worked with my clients about, about the upper limit problem. I've sent that book to a lot of people. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes what happens when we, you know, undervalue and we under earn is we have this upper limit problem. So that's really interesting. So you finally beat you hit, and by the way, if we're living life in that flow, we're going to consistently, I believe, hit upper limit problems. And in fact, what the book did for me, I literally just read this book four weeks ago, five weeks ago. So okay. not ironic, ironic that, you, <laughs> that you're bringing it up. But what I found with the book and the person that recommended the book to me said, this is a book where you don't necessarily need to implement anything, that the awareness that comes from reading it will start to shift things tectonically. And that is true. I true. mean, my even in the past four or five weeks, things have like, I'm like, what is happening? Oh yeah, that's right. I read that book four weeks ago and Danielle said that this is what was going to happen. Yeah, so I, I love cool. that book and it's mysterious how it works. It is. And now here I am even mentioning it after you've just, that's pretty funny. All right. So, which, which means really it's a message to me. I need to reread that book. <laughs> or anybody so listening. Cool. Right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how your personality may have changed um, from, you know, how you were in your twenties to how you are now. And how oh, this is so good. What that's you do the you. juiciest questions, Mo. <laughs> Gosh, that requires some real reflection. And I know you mentioned before we started that we would be talking about this. I think, um, let me just take that in for a moment. Wayne Dyer says that if you are what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. Oh, if you yeah, are yeah, what you do, then when you don't, you are. It's as if when you stop doing what you think you're meant to be doing, it's as if you cease to exist. That's how I read it. And that's how powerful the ego is. And the identity. And so, the identity. So I'll be honest with you. I've, I don't identify so much or as much with what I do anymore. Um, for example, and this was probably the ego because I realized I was actually perfectly fit for it. I lost two business partners during COVID, not to COVID, but to, they stepped out of the business, the COO and the CEO. And the investors had to ask me three times to step in as CEO. And I said, are you crazy? I'm a college dropout. I'm the clown character. I do the sales. I don't run the company. I just am the visionary in the company. But that was my ego saying, you know, both sides of the candlestick. So I think the way my personality has changed is I'm a lot calmer. And I recognize, I'm not necessarily immune to, but I recognize now that so much of what we think happens or happened in our life is the story of what happened. It's not actually what oh, happened. Right, the story. And when we when we have the story over here, and I know people are listening, and not, but it's like a Venn diagram almost, and they overlap. It's like the story's here, and what happened, what actually happened, is here. And oftentimes, the story is not what happened. <laughs> And what happens when you combine these two things in like this Venn diagram is what I now like to think of as, as, as a vicious cycle where you just start perpetuating what happened into a story of what's not even real. And suddenly you're starting to make decisions from something that's not even real. For me, I'm not immune to that anymore. I mean, I'm not immune to that now, but I'm able to recognize it. Am I in my story or is this actually what happened? 
Am I revving something or not? And, you know, this combined with prayer and meditation, what it's gotten me is choice. Whereas before in my 20s, I didn't really think I had choice. I thought I was just kind of going with the flow and rolling with the punches and all these terms that you hear that justify people's erratic behavior. I now realize that there's a choice. And oftentimes the only choice I have is how I react to something. And mm -hmm. I know my first reaction is not my final reaction. And so these, these nuggets are kind of how I would say my personality has changed. I, I don't think I'm a totally different person. I just think I come across maybe a bit more thoughtful. I would, reflective. I would think so. Because yeah. even what you said earlier, when that, when that guy called you and said, hey, kept calling you and saying, Hey, you know, exactly. maybe you have a problem here and maybe you ought to make, you know, your peace with money. And, and you were like, F you and hang up the phone. That probably doesn't happen anymore. Doesn't happen. <laughs> doesn't happen. At the very least, I'll be reflective of, do I want to continue having this person in my life? Is, are they saying something truthful? Or do I need to reflect on what they're actually saying? And usually now it's actually reflecting on what they're saying, even if I don't particularly care for the messenger. Well, yeah, because we can't shoot the messenger. Really, the messengers and Wayne Dyer said this, too, is like um, they're just you know, they're just the squeezers of the juice. They don't make the juice within you. They, they're just the squeezers. So you get to look at your juice and say, okay, what is it in here that I need to look at? I also really liked what you said about um, the stories that we tell ourselves because mm -hmm. our ego is not our friend, right? It's pretty negative. And that inner critic um, is what has, you know, it's, that's what helps us quote, help is not the right word, but gives us that upper limit problem. And the last thing I want to share about that is um, I learned a long time ago, and I changed this belief reading A Course in Miracles. I've read it many times. And one of the big beliefs that um, that I have here now is, and I, I, I try to remember this all the time, is that nothing really has any meaning except for what you give it. Nothing mm. has any meaning except for what you give it. So what's meaningful to you might not be meaningful to me and vice versa. But this is the beauty of the 12-step program too, right? Because then we get to listen to everybody's different points of view and everybody's stories, how they deal with things. Um, and most of the time, it's not just me talking, it's me listening. And so I get to learn and decide, what do I really want this to mean for me? And it really works that way. Mm. So Jake, thank um, you for sharing that. I, it's funny. I, if I may, yeah, it's very funny how it requires a daily practice. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just thinking about an interaction that I had this morning with uh, a general, the general manager of Imaloa. It was a brief text interaction. And even though I knew what was happening on his side of the street was totally his for a moment before I let it go, I still felt that zing of like, mm -hmm. well, you know, as opposed to just, oh, that's his story playing out. It's all good. And you just reminded me of that in this and just how it's a daily reprieve. We pray daily for reprieve. We meditate daily so that we can have this awareness that you've just shared. Um, and it's then very we have powerful. Acceptance. We have acceptance a lot easier and quicker that way. Yes. It is very powerful. But also, you know, when those zings do come in, it's okay to also say, hey, wait a minute. I think you just crossed a boundary. Speak up for yourself. We have pretty good BS detectors too, don't we? I mean, <laughs> I find addicts, honestly, recovering addicts preferred, yes. but uh, addicts to be some of the most powerful, innovative, 
um, bullshit detectors yeah. uh, ever. Because we and know. We some know of my it. favorite people. Some <laughs> of my favorite people, honestly. Agreed. And probably a lot of people that even go to meditation retreats at your institute would um, will be people who are in some sort of some form of recovery in one way or another. And 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 I don't even you know that word is a little bit overused. It's like no, we're on a different scale of enlightenment and how we're living our lives. And really, um, in with purpose and passion and mission, um, all starting with you have to take care of your inner world before you can start really fixing your outer world. Hmm. I feel like so, you're taking me to church. I just forgot I was in an interview <laughs> for a second. Well, that's I'm sure you know what a lot of us are podcasting for, right? To get these awesome ideas out there, and uh, you do have mm. a very inspiring story. And so, tell us. Um, uh, you know, get a, a few, a few minutes before we wrap up, but what, what, um, have been your lessons in leadership that you would share? What advice would you share to somebody who wants to step into leadership and is in recovery? Well, in order to understand this awareness that I have, we have to go back to when I was 21. You mentioned it at the intro that I was the youngest host in late night TV history on ABC. It was after Jimmy Kimmel. And I had a team of about 35, 40 people at 21 years old Wow! that in Tribeca in New York City offices and just doing my sh living the dream that I had set out for myself in my teen years, which is insane now that I think about the time between when I had this at 16 and then five years later, it's happening. And I knew nothing. I mean, I, I actually knew quite a bit, but I knew nothing at all. Now I realize I knew nothing. And I led by sheer force of will dominance. Um, I had stopped drinking, but I certainly didn't act like it. I was definitely a dry alcohol, dry drunk. Um, I would tear people new ones. I led, mm. I led like a dictator because I didn't know what else to do. Now, I practice step one in leadership. I'm powerless. And I remember someone said this, I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable. That's obviously step one. But I'm also powerless over people, mm -hmm. over things, over events. So I'm in the basement listening to a 12-step meeting. And this woman in Florida on her balcony, it's funny how you remember these type of things. She says, I'm really grappling with step one. I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable over dating and under earning. But then she starts laughing in her three minute share. And she says, but I'm realizing all of life is unmanageable and I'm powerless over everything. And so me practicing step one in leadership these days is actually really important because not only am I powerless over my own situation, I'm also powerless over how other people are acting. And that admission of powerlessness, for me, I admit my powerless, not because I'm necessarily powerless. I admit my powerlessness so that I may be empowered by a higher power. And so to me, practicing step one in leadership allows me to tune in and listen to the whisper and know what the next right action is, know what the next right thing is to say, and that it's not necessarily pushing anything or anyone it's not what I thought as my 21-year-old self. I thought I had to push and pull and tug and maneuver and manipulate. And frankly, I think I would have ended up dead if I continued doing that. And now what has resulted is a 38-person team and growing. The only place to survive the pandemic and not fire a soul or close. The only hospitality business in wow. Costa Rica to do that, to not fire a soul or close. Think about that. Congratulations. That's huge. It's all my 12-step program, honest to goodness and recovery. Um, 
And so now you have 38 people that are relatively happy, joyous, and free. Obviously, we can always do better, always do better with our team. But, and, and I haven't done a damn thing, Mo. I haven't done a damn thing. You've and yet, let them do and, their jobs. That's right. And I've taken action and turn over the results. And I realize I can't control the outcome. I can't control these people. I don't want to. I just want to be able to offer to be a servant leadership, lead with the spirit of service and a posture of learning. This is what's very important to us. Love them and guide them. That's what it is. Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful place to be. And I don't know how I've gotten here other than the past 10 years in recovery, because it's a wild thing. People think you need to manage or maneuver or manipulate in order to be able to produce results in program. You realize you can't do that any longer. Otherwise you go back to drinking, you go back to denning, you go back to under earning. It feels bad. Yeah. When you're trying to yes. control it. Yeah. It just feels bad. Totally. And you can't hear the whisper. Got to be able to hear the whisper. That might just be God. We'll I find out it. at the end of this run if it really was, <laughs> but I think it might be. I love it. All right. So please tell people where they can find you and what it is that you offer. Well, <laughs> I don't offer much because I'm busy at Imaloa, but you can come to Imaloa, y'all. If you want to, you can go to imaloainstitute.com. And if you use code word Jake, J-A-K-E, you actually get $350 off any signature retreat at Imaloa just for listening to Mo's podcast. Okay. Awesome. So code word Jake gets you $350 off any signature retreat. So you can find at Imaloa Institute on Instagram or me at Jake Sasseville um, anywhere you want. That's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm coming. I'm coming down there. I'm going to bring a following with me. <laughs> oh, I'd love for you to do that. We're actually doing an addiction and recovery inspired signature retreat. I think it's in January and it's just Ooh. for the, cause we're a dry campus, obviously. Yeah. And we're also a plant-based campus. So it's five-star gourmet plant-based. Nice. Um, so it's different for some folks, but you would be more than welcome. And we can chat, chat more. Anybody who's listening obviously is more than invited. Cause sometimes you do need a five day reset in the Costa Rican jungle. Yeah. You know, sometimes you <laughs> totally. need that. Yeah. Yes. And zip line through the, when you're not That's meditating right. through the That's canopy. Right. Well, <laughs> thank you, Jake. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast podcast today. I can't wait to connect with you again. Such an honor. Thanks, Mo. Thanks so much for listening. And please visit us at www.emergeevolvelead.com or emergeleadershipacademy.com and take the quiz to find out more about your personality style at work. I'm now working with leadership teams in addiction recovery organizations to help build a culture that attracts top talent and lowers turnover. If you are a leader in recovery and would like to be a guest on this podcast, feel free to fill out the application you'll find at the top of the podcast page on the website. See y'all next week.